here's what happens as a proud member of the Wide Low podcast community. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of So Here's What Happened. I am your host, Nisha, and I am joined by my lovely co-host. Carolyn, hey. Hey y'all, we are back. We are back. Nothing happened, we are back. <laughs> it's just been a very long August, I feel like. August is like a Sunday of the of the months, so it comes quick. And it feels long and then it goes by fast. But anywho, a lot has happened in August and I'm excited to get into it and chat with Carolyn about what she has watched and read, seeing how she's, com- have you completed all your coverage now? Uh, I still have TIFF coming up. but Oh, we- that's right. But what I'll be talking about today is Fantasia Fest and the mm-hmm. New York Asian Film Festival. Awesome. Well, then let's just dive right in. I'm going to be honest with y'all, grad school started and I'm not reading anything that's not textbooks right now. <laughs> So, like, unless anybody want to come read for me, <laughs> I'm going to forego my book. And Carolyn, if you have anything you want to mention for the book corner, go right ahead. Um, I'll, I haven't really read anything this month also because I've been, like, watching films mostly and, and dramas. Right. But uh, what I'll say is, like, the last episode I discussed um, Dark Blood, which is the comic written and created by Latoya Morgan. And that one, volume two has come out. And I talked about the first um, volume in the in the previous episode. And volume two has come out. And I, from my understanding, I believe volume one has also gone into a second and perhaps a third printing. So Ooh. like, which is really good for a brand new comic and one written by a black woman and created by a black woman. And it's a story about black characters, like the central character is a black man. And as I said, it's set um, just around the end of the Second World War. So that's an interesting story that you can get into. And it's distributed by Boom Media, no, Boom Studios. I always keep saying, I want to say Boom Comics all the time, but that's not what it is. It's Boom Studios. So that's what it's distributed by. So you can go on their site and check out where you can find the comics are ordered directly from their site. Or, you know, buy, if you can, buy from a local comic book store. Support your local stores if you can. And I think mm-hmm. that's it for me for book, for the book corner today. <laughs> nice. Well, we will go right into TV. Um, I'm fine with going first because, shockingly enough, I fell back into The Walking Dead. Oh. Well, kind of. Fear of The Walking Dead. Because I believe me and Carolyn had our rant. I think at one point where we were just like, how y'all going to do this to us? How y'all going to do Rick and Michonne like this? And it was like early on when we started our show and we just had a full on like rant fest about like that whole thing. Because supposedly whenever we're supposed to get those movies, I don't know. They should be reunited, but we're not going to get to to Walking Dead exactly. I'm going to get into the fear of the Walking Dead, which... I kind of binged uh, with my little sister. She's been getting into, I told her about Walking Dead a while ago. She finally started watching it. And then we both just like watched Fear the Walking Dead together. And I did not expect myself to get into it as much, but I think it's just like, it's refreshing to see the story in the world of the Walking Dead from a different perspectives, which like, yeah, it's an American post-apocalyptic horror drama. Same, by the same team it's just a spinoff taking place and they start off in california i believe yeah. then they move to mexico then they move to well then they're at sea for a bit then it's mexico and then it's like they're very similar to rick's group you have like the core group mm-hmm. of people that start off and they're just trying to find a place so that they can build something and that they can have something i will say however this was probably the first time when i was waiting for everybody in the group to die 
Oh, wow. When, just because I was irritated by the mother. Very irritated by that woman. <laughs> very irritated by the son. Very irritated by the daughter. The well, one I person. Because I watched the first season and that was kind of my. I think that they were, they annoyed me so much that that was the reason why I dropped the show. I never got into the second. I think I watched like maybe the first two episodes of the second season and then I never, never picked it back. Yeah, like. I I made it through just because of the strength of this would be what me and my little sister would watch when she would come over as a weekly thing. Like, oh, you're coming over. It's our night. Like, let's just, you know, have wine and watch this. And like, that's what we will be watching. And I'll just be like, so when is she going to die? When is he going to die? Like, that was, I was just like fed up with specifically the mother just because the way she handles everything i'm just like if this white woman don't go sit down because i understand they're trying to make her come off as this very strong and capable woman but i also feel like especially in i think it's the third and fourth season when you bring in the indigenous people and then the people on the the white people on the ranch and the dude who's the head of the ranch is just basically a white racist mm-hmm. who is like you know He's like, well, we don't trust them and this and that. And they're not welcomed here. And just like, okay, but does anybody see how the brown the brown people have done nothing wrong here? And I'm 100% on their side if they go ahead and kill everybody. And if they become the main cast, I'm totally fine with that. Because I just didn't see anything wrong with any of those people at all. Because they just, they had reasons. They presented their case. And I liked all of them. <laughs> Whereas the mother... And the son and the daughter the daughter's less annoying but then she has her moments where she's very annoying but the mother just like you're like why are you here again she's annoying and i'm like i miss the dad you know i liked him he was great i mean the acting's pretty good it's a it's a it's it takes place in the walking dead y'all like for people who aren't familiar with it um i say give it a watch i think it's very interesting and maybe if you are burnt out from the walking dead and you need a break from it because i know this is the last season of the walking dead give fear the walking dead a try because like it's very interesting to see how all of this is taking place and you get to see i do love how we get to see how the zombie outbreak started in fear the walking dead however the most exciting thing that i'm in right now is when morgan finally appears so morgan's arc of fear the walking dead um of him crossing over because he does make it from virginia to this crew and he becomes the centered focus of it i love morgan he's a very complex character and he goes through a lot so i'm worried about what this means for him (laughs) what season are you in i'm in season i'm at the tail end of season four because I think they're filming, or they just recently wrapped the last season, right? Which was- they, yeah, they finished the last season of The Walking Dead. So and they also just filmed the last season of Fear of the Walking Dead too. Did they? Oh, I didn't know it was the last season of that one too. Well, look, yeah, I guess yeah, because I'm pretty sure I saw something. Let me see, Fear of the Walking Dead. Like I know that one's still ongoing, and we are at six seasons of that one um but okay yeah okay so they filmed season seven and it will premiere on october the 17th okay so yeah lenny yeah because lenny james who who is morgan apparently he's 
still alive. So yep. spoiler, but I'm giving you the assurance that at least the black man is still alive. I'm happy. I'm happy if Morgan stays alive. I'm totally fine with him yeah. surviving this. Um, but the other people, you know, we'll see if y'all make it to Virginia and if you meet up with Rick and them. Well, Rick is supposedly quote unquote dead but by now it's been three years we know rick's not dead he got picked up in that helicopter to god knows where and i'm just trying to be patient to see if we're ever going to see andrew lincoln ever again he i as he's in something he's going to be in a new series by guillermo del toro and it's 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 an anthology series so but i don't know if all the stories in the different episodes are going to cross over but yeah it was announced recently he got like Guillermo del Toro started and it started a new um, anthology series and Andrew Lincoln is one of the stars so I don't think we'll be seeing him back in the Walking Dead universe anytime soon and the way how they killed him off like people were like we know he's not dead so why are you doing this either kill him off or just don't but I think it was probably that Andrew Lincoln was like you know, I don't really need to stay around just like mm-hmm. peace out. Because they were going to do a film too, and people were like, why? Why do a film that, like, truthfully, people will, I want to see it. I want to see the movie just so we can wrap up and have closure for Michonne and Rick. Because Michonne has left in search of Rick at this point on, yeah, the, on The Walking Dead. Long. How long has she been gone? I mean, the last two seasons at least. Yeah, two seasons ago, she left. So she's supposed to join him in whatever film. But at this point, just make it a mini series. Like Guerrero's out there doing her own thing. I mean, true. She booked and busy, which we love to see it. But I also just want closure. So we'll see. But nonetheless, let's move on to films. Oh, wait, did you have any TV or anything? <laughs> yeah, so my TV shows are going to be, I, I'm going to discuss just two um k-dramas one is dp that's what it stands for um mm-hmm. and the funny thing is is there a dp and there's no there's no acronym for what we don't know what the acronym stands for because it's about i think it's probably deserter patrol that's what i'm, I'm interpreting at because okay. the premise of the show is um and juno played by jung hee and my boo is a soldier and he is quite calm but inflexible and then there's sergeant um park bom go Played by Kim Sung Kyun, um, notices Private An Gohan's tenacity and ability to observe, and he transfer um, An Jo Ho to the DP ah, Deserter Pursuit Team, and their mission is to catch deserters from the South Korean Army. So for South oh. Korea, like they are every young man once they want, they has to between the ages of eighteen to twenty nine have to enlist. So mm-hmm. they have that like, you can choose you you have to. And you and and you have that same period, and so you serve around up to two years. And then there are some people who join the army because they want a career in the army. And then there are some people, that, and then there's others who enlist because that's their periodic duty. And so this is about so and so and Juno and Juno played by An Jung Hae In. He is uh, he his job is to while well, he's enlisted is to serve um, in deserted pursuit. And this show is very different because the promotion for this show made it seem like it was a comedy and <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, the promotion was so misleading and i'm wondering um, i don't know if that was intentional or not i would like to think it was intentional to make to kind of like fool people into the story because the thing is is like it's almost um where it's it's talking about the like, army life but it's also talking about the toxic toxicity that exists 
in army life and while it's set in south korea i think it could apply to any army around the world because like you know right. the army, if you're a man you have to do these things you have to act a certain we have to be tough but it talks about toxicity it talks about toxic masculinity it talks about bullying it talks about psychological trauma that mm -hmm. that these soldiers especially if they're not mentally prepared for it can experience and then there, there's extreme bullying that happens in um in the army and and like in South Korea it was a really big problem and it's gotten a bit better from I'm speaking to someone who talked he said it's gotten a bit better since around 2016 the show is set in 2014 but since 2016 they've been working at addressing bullying in the army but it's still a problem there but it talks about I think it talks about how when you have these young men go into the army and they're not prepared and they're and they and they're in they're into this extreme environment of toxic masculinity how it can actually bleed over into their lives in, uh, in real life like when they go home they can take this same attitude and mm -hmm. take it home right and take it into their work life because like there's this whole thing about hierarchy right so as long as you're higher right. than someone in rank you like they people see that as a as a way to, as a re, as a way to bully people and you use that as a way to bully and then the person that's above that other person bullies the person that's below them right. going on and going on and even up to like generals or whoever like the generals are still subject to like some kind of bullying or intimidation so it talks about how like this whole um cascade effect of bullying and that and it was really good it's really dark i would always i would caution mm -hmm. anyone if you watch this it's on netflix to be cautious of extreme um scenes of bullying suicide um violence and um like they don't really shy away from it which i think is important because it's, it's talking about how these things can affect men mentally mm -hmm. But they all like, yeah, there's a scene with us. So we said, I was like, wow, okay. And that happens in, because it's six episodes and it happens at the end of, in, in the middle of episode six to be aware, because it's someone who shoots themselves in the head and you're not prepared for it. I was oh. not, because I thought the camera was going to cut away. <laughs> it did not. Oh, no. Um, but it's like the camera is, yeah, like the camera isn't like right there, but it's like, it's like two it's like a two camera shot so it's like one out of sight and one like further in a distance so you can yeah see. but it's like woo okay so but i would caution anyone to watch it but i think it's a really good show it's really well produced i love johnny and he's one of my favorite actors he's in something in the rain and one spring night which is also on netflix mm -hmm. um and then the other drama i'm gonna talk about is i think is the devil judge so the devil judge is also another one. I did I talk about this? No, because the last time I talked about hospital playlist. So the devil judge mm -hmm. is one that I also watched recently. And this one talks is kind of set in a sort of few in like they don't say exactly how much years in the future it is in South Korea, but I'm gonna guess probably like probably like 10, 15 years. So it's a near future dystopic world where everything isn't completely in shambles, but you can see the progression of how things could start to like erode um politically and also societally so i think it's a really good show because it's talking about how society if we have corrupt politicians if they're not reined in and if the people don't stand up to corrupt politicians how society can start to fall apart in these very small and specific ways but then it also talks about the judicial process and how people like the law is the law but if you have right. corrupt interpretations of the law if you have corrupt judges interpreting the law to fit them and if you have corrupt politicians who are enacting bills and laws that are corrupt, like, like, you know, like, it's going to be a problem. You can't say the law that everyone has to obey the law when the law is not fairly like, as it helps a lot. It's a, it's a philosophical thing. The law is like, um, is, is it is, is, is Socrates? I could be wrong. 
but he, it, the word is but the phrase is an unjust law is no law at all and the people mm. have a, and, the, and the people have a right to rebel so like it talks about anarchy like the, if the law is unjust the people do, do are not bound to obey the law so that's kind of what the show is about and it's right. talking about revenge like it um jisung who's the main actor he looks so hot but <laughs> I'm being thirsty. Yes, it's true. I mean, I'm down. Like you said, hot revenge. Hot, hot revenge. And like he's a very complex character. And like he has he has a traumatic past because of course he does. But his traumatic past has more to do, um, has, has kind of tie, I think ties into the story beautifully because there's this other character who um Maroon, um, played by Maroon, who is like this other judge. And he's a young one. He's idealistic about the law. He's like, we have to obey the law. We have to do things this way. And Jisun's character, um, Gaon, is like, uh, you were so naive. Like, oh, you sweet summer child kind of thing. <laughs> really have no idea of the of the world that you've entered into because your hand thought that politics and law don't mix. And, and Gaon is like, yeah, it does. Politics very much influences a lot. And the politicians that are making enacting these laws they're the ones who are manipulating everyone. And, and so he's, he's like this struggle between idealism and pragmatism and mm-hmm. pessimism, right? So it's a really interesting concept for a show. And it's kind of like the thing, and the thing is it's centered around these trials where it's set in the public arena. It's in a, it's in a courtroom, but it's like the public gets to vote on the sentences. Got it. So they determine if someone is guilty. But the problem is, is like someone could end up getting sentenced to either, um, prison for life but are, are you know sentenced to they had an extradition treaty with texas of all things but i have a theory on that way because it's talking about the conservatism of south korean society but that's a whole thesis i would have hmm. to get but they have a whole thing and like the people use an app to vote like if this person's guilty and then if they're guilty then the judges decide okay so this is the this is we're going to decide what your sentence will be but the thing is sometimes that people don't understand the ramifications of their actions yeah story the show is talking about is like people get so caught up in the whole hype that they don't consider the long-term effects so that's i think something that the show addresses really uh really well especially talking about social media because it's talking about the like people get caught up in the hype of social media but they don't really yes about the consequences of social right. media. it's very much like that dark mirror the black black mirror episode with the ups and the downs like people yeah. would you just being petty and you think it's petty that you give me a down but then that that could destroy someone's credit rating or their job or like their performance and all these other things that's something that follows them throughout their life like honestly i wouldn't want to give random people in the public my life to judge like to put my to put my freedom in their hands because <laughs> Look at what the media does. Look how people are so easily swayed by like, I mean, we're not going to go there, but like people are literally easily swayed by like certain terrible graphics on Facebook when mm-hmm. they're convinced that, oh, well, I saw this thing. I'm like, you saw it, but you have no true information about it. You haven't researched about it, but you're passing judgment on it. And why? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's the same thing happens in the show because they talk about, where if you because because like they talk about how where how the media manipulates stories and the media media decides what they want to show and they don't Mm -hmm. show so that can skew people's perspective right and that's something that gaon does like he um like because people love him because he's handsome and he's charismatic and he does use that to his advantage but then at the end of the day he's always like 
you people need to start thinking critically for yourself as a society and individually because your actions will affect everything and he had he's kind of portrayed as this anti-hero because he like because he like, it seems that like he's doing these these things with using the first means like manipulating mm-hmm. um and stuff and then he was like the game the, the game is rigged so why can't they play the game to like benefit me and to benefit others because he's like you know it's kind of like the ends justify the means um situation right and he's kind of showing like, he's like the law itself is corrupt so how am i the person how are you going to judge me for making the system work the way it should by you know budging a little bit of fast and he doesn't do anything to hurt anyone and and then i think also another thing is his niece she's disabled she's in a wheelchair and i love that this show never really makes that a focal point of her character that she just is mm-hmm. no one no one mentions her disability with regards to like um says it like an insult no one make like speaks about her as less than just because she's right. in a and the only time they talk about her like her disability is it because is with regards to how she became disabled because it happened in an accident but it, it it's not like she's just disabled right and i and i love that and i think soft-breed tv shows and dramas are getting better with regards to handling characters mm-hmm. with disabilities so it really i think they did a really good job of that show and that one is not on netflix it is on vicky but okay. I don't you I don't think you need a Vicky membership to watch it because it's on the standard channel. So anyone can go on the Vicky site and watch it. So I would recommend those two shows, DP on Netflix and The Devil Judge on Vicky. Awesome. I like it. I might have to I will definitely check that out on Vicky for sure. And the of course the other show too, because I'm like, hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna even it out because they balanced each other out, it sounds like. They like, do, they do. And the devil judge the production quality the outfits there's this character she's evil as hell and she's another one where i'm just like lady this is sexual assault i can't stand her character and that's just something i would i i got into a bit when i talked about it on my podcast for beyond the romance about how mm-hmm. i think korean dramas do need to do better at showing that women can sexually assault men yeah and it should be called out as such that aside her costumes her outfits she did not leave the house looking less than perfect. Okay. Like, props to the stylists and the water department who worked on the devil judge. Everyone was laying. Okay. Suits were tailored to perfection. Well, I'm excited. Her shoes. I want all of her shoes. <laughs> I am excited. I can't wait to watch that one. Um, okay, then. So then now we will go ahead and dive on into the films. So I have two. Um, and I will just dive on into my two real quick um first one up is Candyman, the 20 2021 film directed by nia da costa screenplay written by jordan pill when rosenfield and nia da costa so i'm not gonna give like a full synopsis off of it just because like i feel like people y- y'all definitely should just go and see it but like i think it is very important that you go watch the first Candyman. Hmm. And then you watch this Candyman. And I say that because the premise is that you have this artist. He is, he recently hears about the legend of Candy, about, um, you know, Candyman. And it's through then visiting Cabrini Green, the Chicago projects, which is a real place, which just, I understand people don't like assume that this was not a real place, but yes, Cabrini Green was an actual real place in Chicago. It was a place um so he goes and visits there he meets this man he learns about the legend of Candyman. um 
and he's inspired to use it in his next art installation. Um, unbeknownst to him, he plays the game, which, you know, he like does this whole piece about how like he tries to, well, he does succeed in doing it. Like his whole piece is about explaining to people like, what does it mean? And like the whole thing that happened and he researches it and like he has this very intricate piece about Candyman and the legend and the lore. Um, and he has his art installation, but then he unbeknownst to him summons Candyman by saying his name five times in the mirror. I'm safe, I'm saying it in the camera and I can't, and it's not a reflection. Black people don't play that. I don't play that game. I don't play that game here. Um, <laughs> it don't work, not with me, no, no. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to do it in the mirror. <laughs> So, I'm, not, I'm not doing it in a mirror or on a screen because technically I'm looking at myself and looking at you. So I'm not. Technically, but it's not a mirror and I'm praying to God that that's it and I'm done. I'm not saying his name anymore, no, but we don't play his name. But <laughs> so I thought overall, I felt that it was a pretty good film. I liked it. It was very stunning shots, beautiful shots of just like Chicago. And I loved it because it's like you can recognize a lot of the places um, for people who especially I think as locals, you could recognize some places and the shots that they were taking. Um, they did the work of not just saying Chicago, like they talked about neighborhoods and different things. I the one it's a, it's slightly two problems I had with this. And it's mainly that. OK, so Candyman from the first film, as we know, like the character, he's not so much like the whole premise about the character, like, mm -hmm. is that he was wrongfully accused of a crime and then wrongfully punished and killed and tortured. And then he haunts like the place that he is at. And the whole thing with this one is that it take that it does this spin on the first one is that it is kind of like, it's telling all of these stories of black men who had similar fates, who lived similar lives, who like, you know, they were going about their lives and they were tortured by white people and then and killed in horrendous ways. And then like that name is then attached to them. And it's kind of like explaining it. I'm like, okay. And then of course, then the person, like the reveal is that the man who tells and I, there's so many characters. Sorry, my brain. Um, you mean uh, it's Anthony. character? Yeah, Anthony. Yes, Anthony. Anthony McCoy. So when Anthony learns of um the legend, and you said Coleman Domingo, yes, his character. He tells him the like it's how black people cope. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a very deep take on it, but like a not deep take a deep. Um, thing because like yes like these legends these lores like that's a way of coping and assigning these names like you know that lore to these horrendous acts but I thought it was very creative to kind of like okay so you know that man okay Candyman is not <laughs> it's not one person it's a collective of people um, so I'm like okay I thought that was a very interesting take because you'll notice that in this film um, the Candyman in the film is very different from the from the one that was in the first film, mm -hmm. and they focus on that, and that's important. And I and that's why I'm saying it's important to watch the first film and then this film right after one another. Because honestly, I've never I I tried to get through the sequels that were made after the first film, and they are horrendous. I've seen them, but they're kind of forgettable. They're very forgettable. Mm -hmm. I don't know how the he ends up in Louisiana. Really in your memory. 
yes i just they're forgettable and just i don't like it um but like you find out and this is spoilers y'all and like carolyn let me know if you prefer spoilers or no spoilers spoil me because you know i wrote my review and i put okay that's right you're good um it's and i want to hear your opinion on this too so Mm -hmm. the reason why common domingo's character decides to summon or revive the legend is because he wants to use Candyman as a weapon of vengeance. And like on the white people who have like basically gentrified the neighborhood, like Chicago, specifically these neighborhoods like Cabrini Green. Um, because like, I do think they make a very poignant pay, like they continue, they continue to make poignant points about how when we talk about the ghetto, when people want to talk about, oh, this neighborhood is up and coming now because this and that, and like, oh, and then like, it was like this one white lady, um, film, like art critic was like, well, you guys feed off of this too, you're artists, like you love this. I'm like, and it's like, no, it's the fact that like, in order for the, like for this to happen in a community, funding gets cut off. Like mm-hmm. it starts to fester and get infected. And then like when the funding's cut off, then the value goes down and then things like get worse and people then assign it to being a bad place and then like so on and so forth. So that's like, and I thought that was a very great point to make. Um, however, when the whole thing about making the, like reviving the legend to use him as an act of vengeance, I feel like it would have been stronger if somebody was like a super powerful, evil, white investment banker, if one of the victims were that. And I only say that because when you think of the people that died, yes, they all benefit from gentrification. They're all white. They're all white and they all have benefited from some form of gentrification and they all like, and like that's the point. But it's kind of like, I just, I, I question dude's plot and like motive. Like if you wanted to use him as a spirit, like as, as a spirit of vengeance, would it not make sense to go after like the people who caught, like who directly, like, yeah, no, kill the ones who did it, whatever. But like, I don't see anyone who's directly like, you know, controlling anything. But but the thing is, is that only happens at the end, which is why I said they, this right, film- Right, exactly, the very end. <laughs> this film could have used, I think 20 or 30 more minutes because it's an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. And the pace is pretty steady, so you don't really feel it. So if they had added, I think 20, 30 more minutes, just to just to like give us a bit more into that that whole vengeance is mine kind yes. of situation. It would have actually worked, but the way how they ended, you definitely need a sequel for sure. But yeah. the re- but the reason I think um, I don't mind that the white people that got killed because for one thing, in the first film, mm-hmm. it was only black people that died as a result, direct result of of can of Candyman's actions. The white people that did die were because of uh helens who's a white woman played by um mm-hmm. why am i it just had her name in my head and i drew a blank on it um um virginia madison so her character helen her actions led to the deaths of white people and also to um to a couple black people too because you know mm-hmm. white people don't listen to warnings from black people at all so that was a lesson in that too but then the reason i think for the second one this near the cost film is the reason the white people that died were not only gentrifiers, but they're also mm-hmm. people that were antagonistic and belittled. Yes. Um, belittled the work, right? So that mm-hmm. like, is showing like uh, it was like a cost of not valuing black people's voice, black people's art, mm-hmm. and black people's history and the legends are is the cause is death. 
because right. like, you know, like those people were having sex in front they were trying to have sex in front of the installation and they're just disrespectful disrespectful the, completely the white, exactly the white woman that died she was an art critic and she completely tore apart his piece and like as we said she talked about she said called it derivative and said like and accused him a black man of mm-hmm. using of exploiting black art like, excuse me he's a black man how can he be exploiting his own history and his own art when he's not like he's talking he's talking about the history of black people he's actually literally trying to bring attention to like the legend to shine a light on the fact of like what actually happened to the man behind the legend exactly accusing a black man of gentrifying his own art stupid right but then the also smart thing with that is if you look at her her she looks she bears a striking resemblance to virginia madison which i think was a, a really good callback to this first um, film, but also to the mm-hmm. character of Helen herself, because it kind of shows how how white women continue to perpetuate certain um, certain behavior, like all like you know, kind of like all white women like kind of behave the same way. But I also think it's just a nod and a really smart casting to get an actress who does the like Virginia Madsen, and um, but the whole the whole thing with Coleman Domingo's character Anthony turning um, Yaya DaCosta's character help me with his name um it's anthony oh he's anthony, anthony. yeah no, anthony think, oh but um things character is andrew william william, william. Murphy. he's the, the laundromat owner yeah the white mic i come in on all kind of random names but yes anthony he the the thing that i could see why they had um william turn anthony into what he's seen as a personification of Candyman because he he for once saw Candyman inhabiting um anthony right he's he saw like he saw the interest and he also i think he was he saw the spirit candy man because he was one of the few people who saw candy man kill someone and that kind of like yeah as a child and um and so it it, i kind of saw where they're going because they're talking about how black people can sometimes use other black people to further their own agenda if you're talking about advocacy or, you know, you know what I mean? So I kind of saw that it, it does, that scene does have body horror because it does, in spoiler, involve him cutting off his hand very graphically. Yeah. And, and, and props to the makeup department because how, how Anthony's body changes as it becomes more uh, possessed by the spirit yep. all of this ghost is his body literally rots away and it starts to look like a beehive because it has all these little holes like a beehive. And it was so gross like the makeup department the pro the pro like the prosthetics they put on him were gross so like you it's like holes in his neck and my biggest thing oh his whole right side his i was like oh my biggest my biggest thing that makes me cringe is like holes like especially clusters of holes on trypophobia so just like and they did a great job with it but it was like it all started with like the bee sting and then you see how it like gets worse and worse and worse which i saw Uh. as kind of how gentrification starts as as this one thing and then it spreads to the whole neighborhood is corrupted but Mm -hmm. then they also use the analogy of bees representing cops and how they can over like when like black people are in distress like cops swarm on black people and swarm on black communities Mm -hmm. and end up killing black men and black women and black children and then in 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 a broader sense killing black community killing the spirit of the black members of the community because even if the people still surround like their spirit has been damaged in some way it's been traumatized in some way so like anthony's body represents the black community and the black um black experience and black trauma and black mentality but oh good lord it was a lot it was a lot but to your point and i agree because it was like that last 10 minutes of the film when when like it when like there's the shootout with the cops yes 
it completely makes sense how he becomes then a spirit of vengeance. Mm -hmm. And like now I'm like, yes, now you actually are getting the revenge that is sought out because you have there's the whole exchange between Anthony's girlfriend who's played by our girl, Captain Marvel. The yes, Tiana Paris. And it's like there's that whole exchange that the cop tries to get her to say, like, basically frame her or to pin it all on him. And we know this is many times what happens in the cases with Black women and Black mm-hmm. men when their partners have mm-hmm. been killed in a, in a fire. Like, look at what happened with Breonna Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's like all these things happen and people want to, like, well, if you could, like, one one out one way we could see this is you helped them kill the people and you held them down or you were a victim. And it's just like, it's so frustrating, but it was so like real to see that whole exchange and then how she truly uses like the revival of Candyman to get vengeance, like revenge for Anthony. Yeah. Because I will say, I feel for Anthony in this, but it's like, I get it. Like the whole point, and I say it again, I can't stress this enough, stress this enough to our listeners. Y'all have to watch the first film. Yes. Then you watch this film because it ties in. I don't want to. I don't want to ruin what ties it all in, but it's kind of like Anthony does. He's like it's his fate is an unfortunate fate, but this is a horror. There was never going to be a happy ending oh. in this film. There was never going to be a happily ever after, and I think it just speaks to Anthony being like succumbing to the unfortunate fate that may happen to like when you are black and you're just like in a situation and then you can't escape it. He's cursed. Essentially, he's cursed when he gets stung, and then he's like, it's like he there's nothing he can do. Well, he's cursed once he summons Candyman. And he did that on his own. But the whole point is like, yeah, it was unfortunate this happened to him, but it's like he did summon him. So it's like, I just felt bad. I was like, oh, how is he going to break it? And then I realized, oh, no, he's not going to break it. So, but I think it was a very well done towards the end and it made more sense. But like that first like reveal and like the half, the second half of the movie, I was just like, I need you to make it make more sense because yeah. you're right. I even the even the high school students, I get it because they were terrible to the black student um who came into the bathroom. Yeah. And I like I'm I'm still I can't remember what they called her, but it's very clear that they use some like derogatory terms and like they obviously like not the N-word or anything, but yeah, they're bullying her. They were bullying her. And it's just like the fact that like, yeah, no, she was spared because she didn't do anything. Well, and she was also because she was hiding out in the bathroom stall. Small girl. She didn't go peeping out. She She didn't go look. She She didn't go look. I'm sure as long as you don't look and you don't say his name, you good. But she didn't even know. She didn't even know what was going on because the reason those girls got killed is because the head girl, the leader, was at the um, art show and she and she was like just dismissive of the art piece. She just saw the inscription. She didn't read the history of it. She didn't. Right. She doesn't she know says, the oh, history of it. Exactly. Just don't. She was like, oh, don't say the name. Um, don't say this name five times. And she didn't read the rest of it. She didn't read about the caution. She didn't read about the history of trauma. And that was why because they they took it as a game. They were they took it lightly. And the fact that it happened after they were bullying this background, I saw some people saying that that was also convenient and stuff. I'm like, but it is, but they're just showing what it is because girls are bullies. They are. 
I mean, I will say good on the Asian girl who left because she was like, uh-uh, I don't play. Yeah, she's like, and she's me. like, not not today. Bye. I'm like, good on you. Good on you. You're smart. You got out of there. But yeah, those are my thoughts with Candyman. Um, other, oh, Shang-Chi was my other film that I saw. Um, Do you have time for Shang-Chi? Huh? Do you have time for Shang-Chi? Uh, I think we should do a special episode for Shang-Chi. Do you want to do that? Well, we could. I haven't seen it yet. And it's I don't know when it's going to be on Disney+. Plus. I'm hoping Disney+, Plus puts it on... I'm hoping Dis- Marvel puts it on Disney+, Plus too, because... They, they may not after Scarlett Johansson. They they should have put it on Disney+. Plus. I, that was a setup by Marvel from the beginning. And I'm like... Unfortunately... I have my own personal feelings about that. Like, mm. yeah. They may not, but I think, yeah, I think we can also, because it just came out this month, like it kind of bleeds over, so, or like, what's it, what's the word, overflow, so yeah, we can do Shang-Chi um, another time, because technically yeah. that came out this month, that is now September, so let's flip it back to you, and you can tell us about your favorite films, um, your film f- co- festival coverage. Yes, I'm not going to go too in-depth into a specific film because, as we said at the beginning, I covered two film festivals at the same time in August, (laughs) the New York Asia Film Festival and Fantasia Fest. So, but I'll just talk about some of the, I'll just talk, name some of my favorite films and the ones that I've done interviews for. So, one of my favorite films from um, the New York um, Asian Film Festival is 10 Months, written and directed by Nam Kung Sung. This was her debut feature film, and it's a, I think it's a beautiful film, and it's a really important film because it talks about how patriarchy and living in a patriarchal society can affect women during pregnancy and after pregnancy because it talks about the expectations society has on women to bear children, but it doesn't want to help them at, you know with the responsibility of raising children. But then it also expects women, oh, if you get pregnant, especially in South Korea, because South Korea is a very conservative society. So it, um, so it talks about, oh, if you're pregnant, you should raise this baby with, this, with, your, with the man that you got pregnant by your boyfriend and you should get married. But then it's not talking about like everyone isn't compatible for marriage. Like, you can be dating someone and you can get pregnant, but just because you got pregnant through, in, during this relationship doesn't mean that you should tie yourself to this one person for life because mm-hmm. like that person is not necessarily who you're meant to marry and then also that person is not necessarily responsible would, would be a responsible husband or father which is something that comes out in the in the film but then it also talks about abortion because up until december of 2020 abortion was illegal and oh. partially criminalized in south korea like women could face prison sentences up to i think a year um especially if something went wrong during the um like the abortion procedure and they had to pay or you would get you could get fined for for an abortion so but women did have abortions but it was done in unsafe environments and if it was done at a clinic like the doctor who performed it could face like legal consequences of performing abortions so it was decriminalized in this in december of 2020 but and and but but up now up until now 2021 women are still trying to have the society and government accept abortions one and help women with abortions because it, it should be considered a medical right it should be something that that should be um helped with um you know financial financially like here in canada you can get abortions legally and i think it's also covered partially by our health insurance so that's what south korea is trying to do too and like we know mm-hmm. in america like abortion was illegal in um, in like upon like like what's going on in Texas now actually reflects perfectly in this film. Oh, uh, like they talk about it. I think it like, like, and this film came out. So I watched the film in August, 
but it premiered in some South Korean festivals like earlier this year. And like, mm. it is so, um, I'm not even, I don't know what's the word I'm looking for. It's not coincidental, but it's like serendipity. Serendipity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That what's happening in Texas is like perfectly, is like kind of perfectly encapsulated in this film. And it kind of shows that while a film may be set in one particular country, that it can still apply to women all around the world because there's things we relate to. We relate to like, you know, families saying, oh, we need to get married by a certain age, have kids by a certain age, mm-hmm. but then they don't want to have you be with the consequences of that. And then it also talks about um, emotional, the emotional toll a pregnancy can have on a woman, you know, like with right. their postpartum depression. And then there's, you know, the sense of losing yourself as a person during pregnancy and after pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And, and then it talks about the confusion, like every woman, like pregnancy isn't something you're born knowing, like when you get pregnant, you're just like, what is going on with my body? You know, your body's changing and like, like that can have an emotional toll on you. And then it talks about the, she talked briefly about the mortality rate because like women die during pregnancy and I can die during birth. And it made me think about how in North America, in particular, black women, the mortality rate for black women during pregnancy and during birth is very high. Yep. Right. And that's something that the society, apart from black people, don't really address or don't even seem to care about. Um, so if you can, the, I'm, I don't know if the film will become available, will become available for streaming platforms, but I'm hoping it do. I could see it going on like Netflix, um, or, or Amazon plus, but, um, that was one of my favorite films. You can read, uh, my interview with Nam Kung Sung on the, but why the podcast site and another film that I really, um, um, I really liked was, I'm going to talk about this one. It's an action. Um, Raging Fire, starring um, Donnie Yen and Nicholas Su. This one is a, like, if you love Hong Kong action films, everyone's talking about Shang-Chi and talking about Hong Kong action films. But I'm like, listen, if you people were really paying attention, you would have been watching Hong Kong action films like me since the 90s or before. I grew up watching Hong Kong action films, okay? Like, these films are nothing. I used to people talking about, oh my God, we have our Asian superhero. I'm like, excuse me, Jackie Chan is a superhero. That man been out there flipping off back of buses, hanging off of chandeliers. That's a superhero right there. If you want to talk, you know, like you got Donnie Yen, Ip Man. Ip Man is a legend in martial arts. And Donnie Yen has been playing Ip Man for the last, what, 15 years? He's been in, in four, three Ip Man films. Mm-hmm. No, technically four, because there's Ip Man 1, 2, 3. Then there was Ip Man Masters, Legend of yeah. Master Z. It stars um, Michelle Yeoh, but that one is kind of like a spin off. But then there was Ip Man 4 with Donnie Yen. And like, Donnie Yen has been kicking ass for how long you had Bruce Lee in Enter the Dragon doing heroic shit, people. Like, and so, like, I got to talk about Raging Fire because, like, this is like in perfect late 90s, early 2000s Hong Kong action cinema. And it's directed by the late Benny Chan, who unfortunately died at the end of production. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this film, I just love the action sequences. It's like crazy good. And this, the plot may be predictable, but that's the, the beauty of Hong Kong action films is like, even though that you can tell the certain beats and where the plot is going, it's the execution that makes it all worthwhile. You know what I mean? It's all yeah. holding the stunts. The stunt sequences in this film are amazing. Nicholas Su and, and Don Yen like go head to head. I want to see them in another film together because this is their first film together. And the thing is, Don and Nicholas Su doesn't doesn't normally do action films. He actually is known for TV for um, Chinese dramas, and he had a food <laughs> a Chinese food show for like five years. So he's like a foodie and he's like a chef. And Don you know, Yen's a chef. Huh? Not Donnie and Nicholas. Sir, the, the other. Oh, I'm sorry. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> yeah, no, Nicholas. Sir, so he's known for like kind of like variety shows, and he had his own. Like, hey? 
food variety show so he can cook it he can he can knock it out on on set and he can knock it out in a kitchen too but i would love to see them in another film together probably as partners and it's really good because it's you know it's about corrupt it's about corruption in the police departments and like donnie's character is this very altruistic, very pragmatic, and he has this very strict on a code, and he expects everyone to adhere to this. But he also has a very slight sense of humor, I think, and a slight taste of pettiness because there's a scene that made me laugh. I was like, "Hee, that's my type of petty right there." And then Nicholas's character is like his protege, who who because of this, he on he killed a man, unfortunately, and Donnie's character kind of like in court said, "Yeah, you did. You killed him." And Nicholas's character was like, I expected you to back me up. And Danielle was like, well, I can't really lay on stand. So like he went to prison, came out. And then it's like this whole thing of like betrayal and angst and badassery and like crazy ass stunts. And the thing with this film is like, I've seen some of the behind the scenes footage, like a lot of like, even like for me, as for you, like the two of us, like people who cover film and talk about it professionally. Like, so as we forget mm -hmm. how much of these films, uh, everything we're seeing is CGI and VFX. Right. And when I saw the behind the scenes footage for this film, I'm like, yo, they did such a fantastic job with the VFX in this film. Like, props to the production team and the VFX crew and the stunt team. Because, like, yes. Mm, yes, well, yes. Awesome. I, like, Raging Fire is distributed by Wago USA. So you can go online. It's showing in cinemas, but I think it's going to be available for DVD soon. So if you can watch it, please do safely. Of course, if you're going to watch it in the cinema, I'm really not technically advocating for cinema because I personally think that people should stay home, you know, because this pandemic is raging. But if you're going to go, be safe. And if you can find it online once it becomes available, watch it because I had a ton of fun with this film. Donnie is... Donnie yes I just want to add if y'all do go to theaters please wear your mask like please wear, wear your, your mask, mask and keep it on Double it's up. fine if you want to get popcorn and I say this because like I have just now gotten comfortable enough to feel to go to the film like movie theaters again but I try like and this isn't for everybody y'all ain't got to do what I do I try to I, I choose to go to the smaller theaters with a smaller screen so I'm not in a bigger crowd I choose like to select a seat where like I know no one's going to sit next to me or at least like there's a wall or something or double up because you're in an air enclosed air conditioned space that too that too I mean please get that too but just be safe just be it's like if you're going to go to the theaters Yes, you I definitely am not advocating for, you know, like people who are not vaccinated and not taking precautions to go. Mm -hmm. But like, if you're going to go and you have not been vaccinated, you need to be taking all the precautions necessary to go into public spaces, just like mm -hmm. everybody else is. That's it. But yeah, just be safe. And don't be gross. And remember to cough into your armpit. Just because as soon I tell you real quick, the person to one seat away from me had sniffled and I was like oh no no I'm leaving I just I will I want to leave <laughs> there's like one or two things that I might events like for TIFF that I'm gonna think and there's like some friends that are coming down that I'm gonna meet and I know they've been safe that mm -hmm. I'm gonna meet in person but doing in-person screenings at the PNIs where people are being reckless and careless unfortunately I have had to come to the decision I will be doing most of my coverage digitally I might see one or two things in piano screenings and even then if i go to the cinema i see too many people inside i'm going right back outside yeah that's all you can do i mean we all we can do right now is take all the precautions that we need to take and to keep ourselves safe and for other people 
to be safe, but that does not mean anyone has to feel uncomfortable in these space. And I mean, I don't want to hear the whole, like, I can't breathe in this mask uncomfortable because- I wear two masks. I wear like the hospital, the the hospital grade mask and then like a cloth mask over it. When I go to the doctor, my appointments at the doctor, I wear two masks and I breathe perfectly fine. I even jog to the bus stop if I'm not exhausted. But again, it's also just for other reasons. Low iron, (laughs) vitamin D. There, There you go. There you go. But with that, I think that brings us a close to our show. So y'all can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nisha Plays. That's N-E-Y-S-H-A-P-L-A-Y-S. And Carolyn, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CarrieCNH12. That's C-R-I-E-C-N-H12. Um, you can find me live tweeting dramas using the hashtag dramas with Carrie every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. I do Saturday night sci-fi with my co-hosts and we do films, TV shows uh, from all across the world, um, usually on either curated list through YouTube or Netflix, Disney Plus, or we've done a couple on Amazon. And um, you for you can find both mine and Nisha's writing on the But Why the Podcast site. You can find our festival coverage and our film reviews, as well as other um, podcast episodes on other on podcast streaming platforms you can find my youtube channel under my name carolyn hines as well as my playlist you can see carolyn talks where i do interviews with industry creatives um and also beyond the romance which is where i talk about korean and other asian dramas you can find episodes on that on youtube channel as well as um but why the podcast.com and other streaming platforms and I think that is it for us. We have had, I think we had, this is a great chat. We've had fun. We talked mm-hmm. about some really good shows and really good um, films. And also like we mentioned the books and also from, I mentioned Blood, um, Dark Blood, which was all, which as I said, Latoya Morgan is a writer, but did, I forgot to mention, she was also the writer on Walking Dead and for The Walking Dead. She has worked on, oh. worked on both shows because she had a, a writer's deal with AMC. So that awesome. was- Look at that. All it's all connected. All connected. Uh, with that, I guess this is goodbye until next time. But y'all remember to hit us up. Let us know what you are watching and reading. Or if y'all just want to ask us questions, y'all can always hit us up and we'll get back to you. Yes. Uh, but with that, everyone. Yes, stay safe. Bye. Bye.